0: Hello, everybody. This is the Ether Podcast, and I'm Rodrigo. This is Ryan. And this is Rachel. And today we're continuing our series within a series in our series of the book of Mark. And uh, we're talking about Mark 13, which is Jesus prophesying the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And this passage, basically, we want to look at all of chapter 13. And it's a chapter that is a little bit difficult to understand and it's a little bit has its complexities because of the nature of prophecy and because jesus is talking about two things on the one hand he's talking about the destruction of jerusalem and the temple and on the other hand he's talking about uh the end of days and it's sort of difficult to uh basically understand which he's talking about when you want to say something Ryan?
1: yeah i'm glad to just be able to talk about the idea of prophecy because As we've been doing this series within a series, a lot of this stuff has has been very clear and clean. And this one's messy. Yes. This one's ugly as you look at the whole chapter. And the whole thing is prophecy. And as I start looking at this stuff, I think that we get scared away from talking about prophecy. (laughs) Except for you. (laughs) You don't get scared away from prophecy. You don't get scared away from the scary stuff. (laughs) But you dive in. But I think so much stuff that's out there, it's like wild speculation and conjecture that is out there and you just want to run away from it or turn it off or tune it out. But I think also a lot of of us feel that prophecy has scary fantasy type imagery that's used in it, which makes, makes it difficult to really dig into and dive into. I think for one reason it's, hard to relate to our own lives but there's just very little practicality to knowing what prophecy is and and understanding it and so we kind of say it says give your money I can do that I can understand that that's clear Um, don't uh, don't hate people okay that's clear I can do that but this whole thing about like the abomination of desolation just no idea what to do with this. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad to be here. What able do to talk we do? Tonight.
0: Yes. <laughs> and do not worry, because I think particularly with this prophecy, there is sort of an application for us today. And we'll get to that at the end. But let me take a couple of steps backwards and for one, sort of summarize where we're at. Um, in the past couple of podcasts we talked about Mark Eleven and Mark twelve. And the, in the entirety of Mark 11, 12 and 13 is sort of this chunk in the book of Mark that really addresses t- the temple, the temple leadership and temple life in general. And in, in many ways, Jesus is sort of pointing to the fact that that's not really going to be the, the way things work in the very near future. And in one way, he's sort of doing away with it, which is a little staggering. Uh, as we've mentioned before, the temple was a beautiful building. The way this passage begins is by the disciples admiring the beauty of the temple. And Jesus' response to that is like, hey, it's going to fall, which is crazy. Um, and so that being said, let me take another step backwards and talk about prophecy in general, because there are certain things um, that consistently the Bible does with prophecy. And I think it's something that we need to think about any time that we look at a passage that involves prophecy. One of those things is that not every prophecy. And I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind as we read this is that not everything in prophecy applies to people in general. And I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, The book of Jeremiah is basically Jeremiah telling the people of Jerusalem, and this is way, way before the time of Jesus, telling the people of Jerusalem that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, much like Jesus now is telling his people that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Uh and so but all the prophecies or the majority of the prophecies let me think about this because I recently did a study on the book of (laughs) Jeremiah but yeah the majority of the prophecies that Jeremiah makes in the book of Jeremiah uh, are for the people that are living during his time and so his prophecies apply to that, those people and sort of that generation of people. And the reason why right. I say that is because a lot of times we can read the book of Jeremiah and think that some of the stuff that uh, that Jeremiah is talking about applies to us, but some of that stuff already happened. Now, I'll give you an example that makes me cringe every single time because in our particular... Uh, church culture and church movement is a scripture that we use a lot.
2: All right, Rodrigo, just go ahead. Take it out.
0: <laughs> Jeremiah 29, we're... where it says <laughs> that God... I didn't realize God... we
1: brought in a soapbox here.
0: Yes, that God I think, is... <laughs> I, I think you could hear a digital gasp. Yes, as... <laughs> I know so... the plans that I have for you, uh, to, to uh, plans to prosper you. How does it go? I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and to save you. And, you know, you'll be able give to you find a hope me. In a future. give you a hope in a future and you'll be able to find me if you seek me with all your heart. All right. That particular scripture is talking to the people that are in, ex- in exile in Babylon and basically telling them that Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt and that they're going to, back to go back to their land. That is at what that scripture is referring to. A lot of times people use it as like, hey, God has like a plan for you, sir. You that I'm reading the scripture to, he has a plan for you. And see, here's the thing. It's not that that's not true. There are other scriptures that talk about the fact that that God wants to give us a purpose and that he sort of does intervene in our lives, especially for the sake of us seeking him and finding him. One of them I think that is... Uh, More universal would be Acts 17 when when, uh, Paul is in the Arapagus and he's talking in very general terms about the way that God works in our lives so that we can find them but Jeremiah 29 isn't the case for that because Jeremiah is talking to the exiles who are in Babylon and he's telling them like hey for as much as this is terrible right now God has a plan and he has a hope and a future for you And so it's not that the principles that are in that scripture are necessarily godly principles, but in this particular case, they don't apply to us, us present presently, because that scripture was already fulfilled. Like that promise God already fulfilled when Nehemiah and Ezra rebuilt Jerusalem and the wall and the temple and all of that stuff. And so... I do think that it's very important. I think it's it, it, it there, there are mistakes that we make with prophecy that are very much like that, that we take it to mean something to us when in, de- in instead it meant something to other people. And now here's the other thing. I think one of the things that we have to realize, and this is true for the book of Isaiah, this is true for the book of Jeremiah, this is true for almost every book that has prophecies in it, a lot of times, and especially talking about the example in Mark 13, <coughs> sorry, especially talking about the example in Mark 13, prophecy a lot of times serves as a warning for, uh, in, in the one case, for the wicked to repent. And maybe that the fate that God is bringing on will be changed if people repent. But it's also it also serves to the righteous as a warning that they're about to go through a really hard time. And the latter is really what Jesus is doing in Mark 13 for his disciples. Like he's telling him like, Hey, these horrible things are going to happen and you guys need to be ready to flee the city. So all that being said about prophecy in general, um, now we can go back to Mark 13 and talk about Mark 13 more specifically. And here is a tricky part about Mark 13. I think I already mentioned this. It's a difficult passage to understand because Jesus is doing two things. On the one hand, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, more specifically. And on the other hand, he's talking about the end of times and when the end of times are going to come. And so... And he moves from one to the other without any kind of transition. It's not like he stops and goes, and now I'm going to talk about the end of the world. And now I'm going back and talking about the destruction. He doesn't do that. He just moves from one to the other. And so it can be very confusing, but to help the people and to help ourselves, we have a little bit of an outline. Uh, to guide us through, through this discussion. So I'll give you the outline right now. Uh, Mark 13, verses 1 through 13, talks about the end of, of the temple and fall, uh, the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. Mark 13, verses 14 through 27, is talking about the end times, sort of, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Mark 13 verses 28 to 31 is talking again about the end of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. And Mark 13 verses 33 to 37, again, goes back and talks about the end of times.
1: All right. So just to break in and recap to make sure that I'm hearing you. You're saying that in this particular passage, Jesus is addressing events that are about to happen. And then he's also addressing events that will happen at some undetermined future date that hasn't happened at all yet, not in the course of the Bible, not in the course of human life. They are still to be happened. And he interweaves those two time periods so closely that it's hard to sometimes tell whether he's talking about the near future for Jesus or the distant future for Jesus and the disciples that's what you're saying right yes okay what about the thought about having a scripture not not necessarily a scripture but a prophecy that not only applies for the near future but the far future as well and I'm trying to try to think of an example right now and the only example that is coming to my mind is um, telling people that um, and this is a horrible example but the, the the people were asking Jesus for a sign and he said I give you the sign of Jonah um, which was that he'd be in the in the ground in the the belly of the earth for three days just like Jonah was and I think that at least in in the story of Jonah it seemed like this is an event that is to take care of a uh, an immediate situation. Jonah, you need your uh, heart corrected. You need you need to understand your position. This is to take. This is for you. But clearly, here Jesus is saying that also had a future prophetic purpose as well. And so having sort of these two roles, is it not possible, you think? And even talk, touching on, on what you had talked about with Jeremiah 29, that yes, Jeremiah is addressing the people in exile at that specific time. But what he's also saying is that even beyond this, God as a loving God has a heart that, that has a, a plan of goodness and of benevolence for you, the exile and for you, the person living in 2018.
0: Yes. So I think here's, here's the thing, right? I think for example, Jeremiah 29 is talking about a, a um, in a way reveals the character of God that I think applies to those people in exile. And applies to us because God's character doesn't change. Uh, however, I think there's a huge difference between me sitting down with somebody and reading that scripture to them, and telling that person like, hey, see, God has a plan for you. And he has a future. And I think the problem with that is it, all, it almost makes it seem like You know what we're what we're doing now with this person, and what's gonna happen with them in the near future is like determined. Like God has this plan, and it's gonna be awesome, and it's to prosper you, and all this other stuff. But again, I think you can draw. You can say. I think you can say something along the lines of like, "Hey, listen, person that I'm showing this scripture to. um, Here, God is talking to a people who are in the midst of great suffering." And he's basically telling them, like, hey, hold on. I know what I'm doing. And somehow this is going, this situation is going to become a good thing. Right? Because that's basically the principle of that prophecy. Here are these people that are in exile and they're suffering and they're missing their home and they don't know what to do. Their temple is destroyed. Their city is destroyed. Part of their family is dead. They're far away from their land. And and God says, like, hey, I have a plan. Do not worry. I have a plan, right? There's a future for you. Like, And that future is that you're going to go back home. Again, I think you can talk about the principle of God's goodness and God's ability to make something bad into something good and God's provision for the people who suffer. I think all those things are true all throughout the Bible. But a lot of times we read this scripture to people as to tell them, like, hey, God has a plan for you he has a plan to prosper you and to like do all these things. But, but again, to use the words in that prophecy and make them apply to everybody, that's not the case. I think the, 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 the truth of God's character is true. And again, you can even go to other scriptures that talk about that, about the God, about about the fact that God is a provider, about the fact that he knows more than we do about the fact that he can make things, that are bad into good things like you can find tons of scriptures that talk about that thing. But to, to then, I think, again, to make my point more clear, to take Jeremiah 29 and say, like, hey, this applies to you, I think that that's where I have an issue. Okay. And, and I do And going back to your example in Jonah, which I think is true. But I think that's a little bit of a different thing in that there's a lot of things in the Old Testament. That are sort of uh, a shadow, if you will, of the New Testament. Because even again, talking about Jeremiah, in one sense, we're in the same situation that the 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 people of Jerusalem were when they were exiled in Babylon. We're Christians. We're exiles. We are in a foreign land. We don't belong here. Like we're away from our home. And so I think even stuff like that sort of applies. And even, you know, recently I did this pretty involved study of the book of Jeremiah. And I think one of the things that I was very encouraged by is kind of like, you know, again, this, the book of Jeremiah doesn't necessarily apply to me in a word for word sense, but there are a lot of like sort of principles there, um, that apply to in a sense, our exile. But again, the book of Jeremiah wasn't written for me, Rodrigo Acosta, living in 2018, in, in the occasion sense. Again, I think there's principles that apply there, but the occasion isn't the same. Uh-huh.
2: Well, I think you're bringing up something that I think a lot of Christians, when reading the Bible, the way they've been taught or we've been taught to read the Bible— I, I think the way I was taught to read the Bible when I was first starting to read it is how to apply it. How do you take this and practically apply it to your life every day? Like every day you should be able to read something, take it out, take something out from that and apply it to your life. Um, and so when you read in that way, in that one mindset, then yeah, I think it's very easy to just kind of walk into a prophecy passage and you start picking out all this stuff and you start seeing stuff in the prophecy that maybe wasn't actually original to the message. You know, I I know when I come across prophecy in the Bible, it challenges the way I read the Bible because I sometimes fall into the mindset of, how do I make this practical for my life when Prophecy doesn't do that. (laughs) Like Prophecy is not practical to my life, but I can still learn. It's like I have to learn a new way to learn from the Bible when I encounter these different genres in the Bible. And so I think a lot of people, when they come to a passage like Mark 13, and it's in a gospel, and it's Jesus talking, and so they're just very used to hearing Jesus speak and being able to take something tangible from it. Right. And then you get to Mark 13 and you're kind of like, okay, well, let's keep going. And (laughs) because they don't, you don't really know what to do with it because it challenges that mindset of just using the Bible for practical purposes because prophecy and like Jesus could have just come out and said, Hey guys, here's what's going to happen right he could have been like super explicit but he's not he uses this genre of prophecy because it's he's communicating something more than here's what's gonna happen
1: mm-hmm yeah I, I, I like the idea and the the point of us always wanting to try and pull something out of scripture and it doesn't always work that way right somebody was talking about what if we viewed scripture, not as a checking account of, I'm going to sit down and read the Bible and see and take something out for myself. What if we look at it more as a savings account where we're making deposits and you may sit down and you may read something like Mark 13 that makes no sense to you, (laughs) but adds, (laughs) but adds to your overall understanding of Jesus and his heart for people and, um, then 10 years down the, the road, you were listening to an amazing podcast and, and three people from Columbia, South Carolina are able to explain Mark 13 in a way that touches your soul and teaches you something. I, I feel like I'm speaking Sounds so prophetic. truth. Um, but, uh, but you know, that, that. <laughs> Me yes, sitting down with my Bible may not yield immediate results, but it may come out years down the line where I finally get a chance to sit with with these learnings that I've been building up and, and building upon for 10 years. And then, oh, okay. And all of a sudden, this new layer of the onion gets revealed and you learn something new and deep. And um, you may not understand it right now, mm-hmm. but maybe in the future, right. it will all come together.
2: Yeah, I mean, God is not bound by our time. He's not bound by time frame. So even the way he communicates to us, I mean, like you said, Rodrigo, Jesus is bouncing around in time in this passage, and it's hard to decipher. I mean, you, you if you just look up Mark 13 prophecy, on Bible Gateway or whatever you know, we use Accordance. Um, you know, wherever you go for your commentary, you're gonna get a myriad of commentary on this passage because scholars have been talking about it for centuries and going back and forth. And what does this mean? And what does that mean? And trying to dissect it and attach it to specific things that have already happened or potentially could happen. Mm-hmm. You can. And you can kind of just get lost in trying to make sense of it where I think, I think Ryan, what you said, that if, if God is going to be speaking to us in this genre where it it hits many different timeframes all at once, sometimes we just have to kind of just sit with something and just kind of mull over it for a little bit. Uh And sometimes it becomes clear. Sometimes it doesn't become clear, but we know who God is and we can trust you know what I mean? Like we can trust God um, when he's when we read these passages. Yeah.
0: Right. So um, let me bring us back to Mark thirteen really quick because I think if you if you're out there and you've been reading Mark thirteen and you have a hard time understanding what it's about and even what it's for, I'm about to uh, to help you out. All right. <laughs> Because as I was saying before, there's sort of two pretty consistent roles of prophecy all throughout the Bible, which is to warn and also to some as a like, hey, this moment is coming and uh, there's something that you can do to be safe. So for example, in the book of Jeremiah one of the things that Jeremiah tells people to do when you see the Babylonians coming, if you go out to them and basically surrender to them, they will spare you. Right? So all throughout his prophecies, Jeremiah is saying like, Hey, when you see the Babylonians coming, if you leave the city of Jerusalem and you go and surrender yourselves to them. And he tells this to the people of Jerusalem. He tells us to the, to the Kings, to the noblemen, to all the people that he talks to at different periods of time. He basically tells them, if you go out and give yourself to the Babylonians, they will spare your life. They won't harm you. And if uh, you look here in Mark 13, in uh, verse 28, it says, uh, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see the things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so even what he's saying here is like, listen, like, when you see the signs, you better like get ready. When you begin to see these things happening that I'm talking about, you better learn from the fig tree and and go, Oh man, this is happening. I need to get away. And here's the other thing. Um, and I, the video that I'm, that we made about this passage, how I ended it was basically with verses 32, uh, through 38, 36, um, which the most important part of this whole passage is the easiest to understand. Because in those four verses, basically what Jesus is saying is like, Hey, I'm telling you this so that you stay awake. Right. In other words, I'm giving you this as a warning and see in this awakeness that he's talking about, and we'll get to this in a second here, this awakeness that he's talking about does apply to us because the end times have begun to come, right? but they've not yet come. Like we're living, you, Ryan, me, Rodrigo, you, Rachel, we are living in the end times. The end times have begun and we're living in them. Right?
1: Can you explain that real quick? Cause I think that that even saying that we're living in the end times can be one of those things that people kind of raise an eyebrow to. So what do you mean even just to say that?
0: So, if you look here in uh, verse fourteen, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but verse fourteen through verse twenty-three, right, it says, "But when you see the abom—this is verse fourteen—it says, says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be,' let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the house not go down nor enter his house." And basically, he gives a bunch of illustrations about the fact. The people should just flee, like as soon as they see it, it says, um, and so what Jesus is saying is when this abomination of desolation comes, like when they see it, they should flee. But it also sort of signifies the fact that the end times are beginning to come. When you see this, it's basically a sign that the things that I'm telling you have sort of begun to happen, and in that he's including both the fact that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and the fact that the end times are coming, if you will.
1: I'm looking for the specific place um, because I I agree with you that we are living in the end times. I think the first that was actually sticking with my mind was this this idea that you're going to hear about some things that, here we go, Um, yeah, in verse 7, when you hear of wars, and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Right. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. And so we see lots of wars. We've got, you know, a couple of major world wars, got major international conflicts like Vietnam and Korea. You've got the war on terror, you've got all these different things minor in the scope of human history like war on drugs and, and everything um, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be earthquakes in various places and famines these are the beginning of birth pains and so I think what it's talking about is it's saying hey, we're moving into a, a time, this is not the end but it's it's the beginning it's not the labor shall you say um but but is the birth pains and when you start getting those birth pains you know that i'm not going into labor yet but it's this is the beginning and all right we need to start getting ourselves ready we had we've got two kids and you all have two kids and when those birth pains start you start going okay i'm not going out for groceries i'm not um gonna go and do anything else. I need to get my stuff together, I need to get ready, and we're gonna go to the hospital and this baby's coming. We need to get ourselves ready. And so we're watching actually,
2: out <laughs> right. actually when I was having Diego, I sent Rodrigo go to get groceries because we had none. <laughs>
1: but anyway. Most of us wouldn't <laughs> do that. <laughs> um, but you know that this idea of okay, here it comes and so being aware and I think so we're either in the end times now, or at least getting close, but we're definitely not just sitting on our own waiting for these things to happen. Jesus is telling us these are, this process is, is starting.
0: Yes. And so, and again, I think where it gets tricky is that it's sort of difficult to know where like he's doing which, and, and I think the, the general idea of this whole prophecy, is that I think both things go hand in hand, if you will. And I think, again, thinking of the significance of the fall of the temple, it is sort of the coming of a new era, if you will, because things are never going to be the same anymore. Right. And I think he, even the fact that he he is telling this prophecy only to his disciples, to the people who are going to be the future church, is very telling of sort of the again the direction in which Jesus is moving towards, and um, mm-hmm. and let me read this again just to to sort of uh add to this idea that it's that they're sort of tied one with the other. It says in verse 24, it says, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will be sent out. uh, I mean, sorry. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, for the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And now I think out of all out of all things in this passage, this is by far the most, uh, mysterious, if you will. (laughs) But let me say this, and I think there's many ways to interpret this from what I've read and then certainly from what's consistent throughout, um, the Bible is that this isn't, this is necessarily speaking of these actual things actually happening because again, the tribulation is something that's supposed to happen in the very near future that's going to signal to them, Hey, we need to leave. And at the same time, he's saying like, Hey, in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. And then he goes into this whole thing. And basically what he's talking about is after the tribulation, the, the time of judgment is going to begin. This whole imagery of him riding a horse and coming from heaven and gathering his elect and all this stuff all of that is what you could call judgment speak. And so if this tribulation already happened, which there's, we'll, and we'll get this in a winter, this in a minute, this tribulation already happened. Then after that tribulation basically signifies the fact that this judgment that Jesus is talking about, that he's going to come on a horse and his elect will be gathered and all these things are going to happen. After the tribulation, those things are going to begin to happen. And so that's why I'm saying we're in the end times because that tribulation already happened. And not that, the, the again, not that the actual sun went dark and everything shook and everything, but basically we're expecting that moment in which Jesus is going to come back and sort of judge everything. Right.
2: So, okay, I'm just... I'm just gonna bring this up
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: because Rodrigo and I were having this discussion the other morning um, the Sun did go dark and the earth did shake when Jesus died okay. so I am mean, I know Rodrigo you and I were talking about this the other morning but in this whole idea of like the destruction of the temple where it, living in a new era, those things that you talked about. Yes. Is it possible to like read that onto this? Like, is that, would that be a response? Would that be irresponsible? I guess is what I'm asking.
0: Well, I don't know that it'd be irresponsible, but then I think you sort of bring to question what the tribulation is. Because again, if you read, the about the tribulation, the tribulation is supposed to be a sign to the disciples of, oh man, the destruction of Jerusalem is coming. I need to live. The, I need to leave the city, right? And it's supposed to signify the mm-hmm. fact that the end times, the end, the time of judgment, is sort of begun. When Jesus dies, yes, the the sun goes dark and the earth does shake, but Nowhere does it seem that the disciples register that as that tribulation, uh-huh. his death.
1: Yeah, mm. it seems like a whole lot of things are, are kind of coming together, and they have to happen in a certain order, a certain pattern, and we're not seeing that with Jesus's death. Death,
0: right? And I think, and again, I think there, I think one of the things that is is very easy to lose sight of is that the the sort of themes of judgment and the the sun going dark and the earth shaking and all that stuff it's it's stuff that happens uh not all the time throughout the bible but but at significant times like very dramatic things happen sort of as a sign of hey god is involved in this this is not just a random thing like god has mm-hmm. his hand in this and even right. though some of the uh, I, th- I think sometimes the event is similar, like when uh, the Jews are leaving uh, Egypt and the, the, the parting of the Red Sea happens. And then when Joshua is conquering Canaan, this, there's sort of a similar episode that's supposed to right. tell the Jews, like, hey, God is still with us. He's still providing for us. We were victorious then. And now that we're crossing the Jordan in a similar fashion, we're going to be victorious now. So those things connect and it's sort of supposed to be an illusion of like, Hey, this is sort of the same thing and God is still here. And sometimes they're not, you know what I mean? Like sometimes things just happen. And I think, you know, it's interesting because talking about earthquakes and wars and I, and I totally agree with you, Ryan, like Jesus is saying, Hey, these, you, you're going to hear these things and they're just going to be the birth pains. And, um, the time between, especially the, the, the 20 years. So if Jesus died around 33 AD, uh, between 46 and 70 AD, which in 70 AD is when the the temple was destroyed again by the Romans. There's a, a series of things that happen that could have very easily been like, oh, the world is coming to an end and we should worry and do all these things. Like, There, was, there were major earthquakes, one in Crete in 46 AD, one in Rome in 51. Uh, there were two in Phrygia in 53 and 60. In another city called Campania, there was 60, uh, in 63 AD, there was earthquakes that were bad enough that we still have record of them. Uh, in 44 AD, there was a huge famine in Judea. Uh, In 50 A.D., there was a huge famine in Greece. In 52 A.D., there was a huge famine in Rome. You know, the book of Acts records the disciples being persecuted. In 68, which is when the fire of Rome happened, and nearest persecution in Rome is happening in, like, in many ways. I mean, I'm sorry, 64, and the fire of Rome was in 64 A.D. So, like, in the time that, between the time that Jesus makes his prophecy and the temple actually falls, like, a lot of the stuff that, he was describing and said that what happened in many ways described the reality that the disciples went through and again he was telling them like hey like this is just the birth pains like don't panic these are just things that are supposed to happen and you know i think even now i think and again i talked about this in the video that we made one of my biggest takeaways from like really understanding this passage and everything I don't wake up every day going in my mind, man, like I'm living in the end of times. And I think a lot of times, especially as Christians, we sort of look at the world around us and we go like, Oh, the world is falling apart. Look at all these things that are happening. And like, we, we go crazy. And I think if you take something away from this passage is the fact that all these things are supposed to be happening. And in one sense, I do think they should worry us, but at the same time, like these are the times that we live in. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said that these were the the times that we're going to live in. And the same thing that was true for the disciples, there's still wars, there's still famines, there's still like natural events that happen, all this stuff. And like, when you look at all this stuff, you can go, oh, the world is ending. And yes, the (laughs) the world is ending. But I think there if anything, we sh- should accept that. And going back to the end of this whole thing, I think our, the reason why Jesus shares this prophecy with his disciples is so that they would be watchful, he says. Like, stay awake. Look at all these things with eyes wide open. Be ready. Like, be aware. be Be woke. Jesus was, was promoting, promoting wokenness <laughs> from way back when.
1: I think it's a good thing to, that Jesus didn't give specific details. Cause if he said, let's just say he had said, uh, January 20th, of 2019, <laughs> it's all going to fall apart and this is all going to happen. Then everything leading up to that time. You know, a hundred years ago, people are going, ah, it's a hundred years away. A thousand years ago, they say, ah, it's a thousand years before the end of the world's going to end, and it changes everything. But I think that the the most important part is what you just mentioned, these last two verses, or last three verses of chapter 13 of saying, look, I'm telling you that things are going to happen, and you're going to see some things and those aren't signs and you're going to see other things and I'm not going to explain them real well to you. Those are the signs. Um, but whether you think that the time is ending or you're sure it's happening or not sure, stay aware, be prepared and be ready because it's going to come like a thief in the night. Um, if he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. This idea of, you need to be prepared in season, out of season, no matter what's going on. Um, we all hope that, that we're all going to die and and uh, pass in our sleeps uh, when we're older. But who knows? Who knows? you got to be ready and prepared that God may call us at any time.
2: Yeah. Well, I think if, if you even just take these last few verses that you guys have been talking about, and then combine it with the beginning of chapter 13 when they're walking out of the temple and one of the disciples says uh look teacher what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings and jesus says do you see these great buildings there will not be left here one stone upon another um you know the temple for you know like what we were what we've been talking about the temple for uh the jews was a symbol of god his presence here on earth his home here on earth um that he was residing with his people and they could gain a certain amount of comfort and a certain amount of confidence and security from thinking well god is there you know god is with us he's on our side and jesus is like wait a second (laughs) Like you still need to be awake, to be watchful. Right. Um, right. Don't don't get so comfortable um, that you forget that you don't know if or and when this is all gonna end. Not only just your way of life and your your nation state or whatever, but also just the world. <laughs> like, like you said, Ryan, we, we're not, we're not guaranteed we're even going to make it through the podcast. Right. Um, and so I think it's just really interesting that the whole passage starts with this small interaction between um, the, his disciple and Jesus. And cause you know, I think, the, the disciple, at least in my opinion, when I when I read it, I can read on to it things like, you know, he's praising the, you know, we've read that the building was beautiful, that the temple was an impressive sight, you know, and that it's reflective of the fact that God lives there. But even, even the presence of the temple is not security enough for the end will come like a thief in the night.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. So let me um, really quick summarize a couple of things. If you read this passage and you're worried about certain things like when is the tribulation going to happen? The tribulation already happened. And the reason why you should be confident of that is because Jesus says the tribulation is going to happen right before the temple is going to be destroyed. So the temple was already destroyed and the tribulation already happened. At the same time, the tribulation is supposed to be sort of the beginning of this era of judgment in which we're living in right now. And in turn, we should be woke, we should be awake, we should be watchful. <laughs> and um, just to couple tidbits here before we wrap this up, which has been a really interesting conversation, there's sort of two possibilities of what the tribulation was. One was uh, when Titus actually comes into Jerusalem and conquers it. They basically set up a bunch of uh, altars to their gods in the side of the temple, and some people think that that's uh, when the tribulation happened. Uh, One of the reasons why it may not have that necessarily been uh, the tribulation is because it's already. I mean, the Romans are there. Like they're. I mean. That's not much of a warning. Like The city has been conquered, and now isn't necessarily the best time for you to run away, per se. Another possibility, and this is a little bit more of a drawn-out story, uh, and let me just back this up a little bit. And again, I'm I'm sort of providing this more of as a general information thing, just so that you can tell your friends how much you know about the Bible. Um, (laughs) What brings about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple is... Uh, the Jews basically revolt against the Romans and uh, the Jewish-Roman War is what this period is called. basically lasts between 64 A.D. and 70 A.D. And it was a very messy affair uh, because uh, the people of Israel didn't necessarily get along between each other. So the revolt did happen and the revolt did start, but there were different groups that sort of led their own revolt, if that makes sense. The two biggest ones are the Sadducees, who had control of Jerusalem, and the Zealots, who were sort of out in the country. Um, I believe it's in 66 AD that uh, Titus marches against the Zealots, and I forget the name of the city that they were in, but basically they find themselves in a very precarious place and they have to flee to Jerusalem. But because they don't get along with the Sadducees, they literally have to fight their way into the city. And what's end up and what ends up happening is that the zealots take um, over a certain area of Jerusalem. And then the Sadducees are over another area of Jerusalem. The area that the zealots are over, they actually conquer the temple and they make the temple sort of their military headquarters. And so there's a couple of things. One people think that that's a tribulation because now this, this building that's supposed to be meant for God is being used as military headquarters. And the Sadducees had put in place obviously their own high priests and their own, uh, sort of like religious leadership. And when the zealots take over the temple, they basically appoint, their own and apparently the person that they appoint isn't necessarily somebody who was qualified to have been a uh, high priest now there's some tradition has it that in 68 a.d is when a whole bunch of christians left jerusalem to go someplace else and so the more likely date for this tribulation would have been 68 a.d so Now all that being said, let me sort of bring this whole podcast to a close and let me just sort of give you what we hope are some of the things that you take away. This prophecy, again, some of it applies to us and some of it doesn't apply to us. The part that is about the destruction of the temple, we don't have to worry about because that already happened. I think the part that we do need to worry about and the part that we should be very concerned with is the fact that the end times have begun. They are here. It is a period of time that we are living in and that should make us very mindful as to the way that we live. Uh And I think that means a series of things, but I think the most important one is that we have to be really mindful that we're good with God because judgment is gonna come and that's what we have to be ready for. We have to be ready for God to look at our lives and go, you know what, this is good. And so if anything, I think the most, uh, to me personally, the most encouraging part of understanding this prophecy is that in many ways, it, it gets us ready, man. Like I think living our lives, understanding that our lives are short, that the time is short, that the time is coming and it's sort of here already. Like you don't really make us live life differently. And I think yeah. even um, uh, started this whole ether thing really with uh, with the idea to use the Internet to reach people and teach the Bible to people and help people come to God and help Christians grow in their maturity and all of these things. reading this scripture and understanding what it's talking about makes me so much more fired up about what we're doing because there's never been, uh, as great a tool to reach as many people and talk about the gospel to as many people as the internet. Since the time is short, in a way we're taking advantage of a great tool to reach a whole lot of people to because the time is short and because we are in the end times. And I think, to a certain degree we're we're awake. And so, man, I think it, when you understand that this is the end times, it makes a bunch of things matter a lot and a bunch of things not matter any.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think about so many verses that talk about valuing our lives versus valuing Jesus. And Jesus tells us that you need to come to me and you need to to hate your 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 father and your mother, your sister and your brother, your wife and even your own life or you can't be my disciples with this attitude of of saying that these are not the things that matter, these are not the important things. And even digging into what Paul talks about in Philippians 3 where he talks about I've got this in my, my spiritual resume. I've got this. I've got that. I was born this way. I had this social status. I have this knowledge, and I consider it all loss for the greatness of knowing Christ, my Lord. This idea of nothing can touch the amazingness of, of having this relationship with God, and I'm not going to let anything come in and take its place and Paul challenges people by saying you can't put stock in these things that you do in your life and and in these things that you can accrue for yourself even if it's something incredible like biblical knowledge right Um, in the end of his list he says you know I was faultless with the law he lived a very moral lifestyle a lifestyle that you couldn't look at and say, you know what, Paul, you don't have this quite on, right? He said, I was faultless. And he still looked at that and said, man, that doesn't matter at all. It's about knowing Jesus. It's not about just doing all these things and having all these uh, pieces on my spiritual resume. It's about knowing Jesus. And is that what we are doing with our lives? Or are we just kind of going through the motions and we're not woke
0: I guess with that uh, we will bring this podcast to an end hopefully you've enjoyed it I was really excited about talking about this I think it's a super interesting topic and again I think it it, uh, it's in a sense great for our lives if that makes sense and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed talking about it and I do want to remind you that if you want to get in touch with us uh, you can do so through social media at EtherMMC on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we also want to thank you for those of you who support us. We are able to do this through your support. And if you enjoy what we're doing and if you uh, are a person that enjoys learning about the Bible and wants to uh, us to continue to provide this kind of material, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And you can find us on Patreon.com forward slash EtherMMC. And thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.